Section 4. Joseph J. Schwab. Quote, it was this practical trait of Schwab's personality, one that led him always to commit himself to action, that was the primary motivation of all that he was to attempt. End quote. As we saw in the last chapter, Schwab's characterization of the curriculum field as moribund sent shockwaves through the field. He had written, quote, The field is moribund. It is unable, by its present methods and principles, to continue and contribute significantly to the advancement of education. End quote. His indictment and his recommendations regarding how the field should proceed would, as we saw in Chapter 1, have enormous influence. Schwab had declared, quote, There will be a renaissance of the field of curriculum, a renewed capacity to contribute to the quality of American education, only if curriculum energies are diverted from theoretic pursuits to three other modes of operation. These other modes, which differ radically from the theoretic, I shall call following tradition, the practical, the quasi-practical, and the eclectic. End quote. We summarize Schwab's argument in chapters 1 and 3. Suffice to say here that his 1969 declaration, published again in 1970, that the field was moribund signaled the decade of reconceptualization. His work will continue to be discussed in the literature for years to come. Who was this man whose single essay set in motion the collapse of the traditional paradigm and helped establish the contours of the new one? In their introduction to Schwab's collected essays, Ian Westbury and Neil J. Wilkoff summarized Schwab's career. Joseph J. Schwab was born on February 2, 1909. He died on April 13, 1988. For nearly 50 years, Schwab worked at the University of Chicago and lived in Hyde Park. Originally from Columbus, Mississippi, Schwab entered the university at only 15 years of age, graduating in 1930 with a baccalaureate in English literature and physics. In the fall of 1931, he began graduate work in biology, receiving his doctorate in genetics eight years later. He left Hyde Park for a year in 1937 to accept a fellowship in science education at Teachers College Columbia University, where he explored the emerging field of psychometrics and assisted in curriculum development while completing a doctorate in education. In 1938, he returned to the University of Chicago as an instructor and examiner in biology in the undergraduate college of the university. In 1974, he retired from the university as professor of education and the William Rainey Harper Professor of Natural Sciences. Subsequently, he became a fellow at the Center for the Study of Democratic Institutions in Santa Barbara, California, an independent institute founded by Robert Maynard Hutchins, see Chapter 3, the president of the University of Chicago from 1929 to 1951. Schwab was influenced by a number of significant figures. First, he was influenced by Hutchins, Adler, and others at the University of Chicago who were interested in great books, a version of 19th century classical curriculum theory. Schwab was influenced also by Seawall Wright, a preeminent biostatistician in his day, and by Irving Lorg at Columbia, a major figure in the new field of educational measurement. With this background, Schwab was able to follow in the work being done by Louis L. Thurstone, the first university examiner. As an examiner in biology, he worked in the late 30s with Thurstone's successor, Ralph W. Tyler. He acquired Tyler's concern for the articulation of courses and curriculum with testing procedures, with its implied concern for curriculum development. During this same period, Schwab made his mark as a teacher in the undergraduate college by introducing discussion methods into the undergraduate program, an innovation when introduced to the classical curriculum of the University of Chicago. By 1940, Schwab believed in discussion teaching, in the potential importance of the great books, and in the significance of science for general education. 
Indeed, he was passionately concerned with the relationships among science, values, and education, the subject of his first published paper on education. At this early stage, he lacked a coherent framework within which to place his ideas and concerns. Richard McKeon, a professor of philosophy who had been Dewey's student and colleague at Columbia and who was interested in hermeneutics, persuaded Schwab that reading a text requires concern for both the text itself and for the interpretive strategies which the interpreter brings to the text. Schwab would come to believe that a curriculum which uses interpretation as its core method entails a focus on both the semantic problems inherent in the work being read and on the consciousness of students as readers. Schwab's contact with McKeon enabled him to articulate his concern as a teacher of biology and his interest in the potential of the great books as resources for liberal education. In Schwab's The Nature of Scientific Knowledge as Related to Liberal Education, he developed a preliminary taxonomy of the varieties of scientific inquiry, which he offered as a, quote, prefatory guide to the curriculum planner in his choice of materials and subject matters, and as an aid in the analyses of scientific research, which he and his students do, end quote. This paper complemented his What Do Scientists Do? By the late 1940s, Schwab was studying Dewey. In 1948, he read the biological works of Aristotle to prepare the index of these works for the Syntopticon of the Great Books of the Western World, the last of Hutchins and Adler's projects associated with the Great Books. In addition, he was beginning to investigate psychology and psychiatry. In 1948, Schwab was appointed to the university's Department of Education where Ralph Tyler, the chairman of the department and Schwab's longtime colleague from the university examiner's office, encouraged him to turn his attention to the formal study of the rationale for liberal education. In Schwab's criteria for the evaluation of achievement tests from the point of view of the subject matter specialist, with its emphasis on process communication and the need to define problems through a search for ways of articulating and expressing experience, we see the influence of Dewey. Quote, a more valuable kind of test would be one whose items would serve to suggest to the teaching staff alternatives or additional aims of education which deserve consideration. And still more valuable would be a test which would disclose the unknown and unanticipated consequences, in addition to those intended, which any effective curriculum inevitably must produce upon its students. End quote. Over and over, Schwab stressed the indeterminacy of what we think we know and the necessity of searching for ways of giving form to the shadowy and incomplete condition which is the human world. Also in this paper, Schwab explored how a text can be used in a concrete situation. Westbury and Wilkoff note, quote, It was this practical trait of Schwab's personality, one that led him always to commit himself to action, that was the primary motivation of all that he was to attempt, end quote. In an essay he wrote in 1951, Dialectical Means versus Dogmatic Extremes in Relation to Liberal Education, Schwab employed the forms of analysis and argument that McKeon, and from a different tradition, Dewey, had taught him. Schwab's mention consisted of a comprehensive mapping of a territory of a given subject matter by means of a set of topics, or commonplaces, which ordered the elements that a teacher might need to consider as one sought to plan one's curriculum. In Eros and Education, we see Dewey's emphasis on the roles of continuity and growth and experience, although Schwab's views on this topic are filtered through both the psychoanalysis that Schwab was undergoing in these years and his reading of Aristotle's biology. The aim of a liberal education is not to destroy the mammal within us. Rather, the aim, Schwab tells us, is to harness Eros through reasonableness so as to employ its energy for its intellectual purposes and, conversely, enjoy to the fullest the capacities for feeling and action Eros makes possible. 
Schwab was widely regarded as a spokesman for the discipline-based teaching of science in the schools. His essay, The Concept of the Structure of a Discipline, and his contributions to two widely read symposia on the subjects of the structures of disciplines became basic texts for the structuralists in schools and colleges of education. Westbury and Wilkoff tell us, however, that Schwab did not identify himself with the structure of the disciplines movement, despite his writings on the subject. They point to the opening paragraphs of Education and the Structure of the Disciplines, wherein Schwab stipulates, quote, before, indeed, we ask what structure is, there is a prior question. What relevance of the structure of disciplines have for the purposes of education? Why should the curriculum maker or the teacher be concerned with the structure of the discipline with which he or she works? End quote. Westbury and Wilkoff believe these questions indicate that Schwab's primary commitment was to science seen as a distinctive model of inquiry. Schwab's other major essay from this period, What Do Scientists Do?, described those semantic clusters associated with the process of scientific inquiry. Like his other projects, this one had to do with the need to order the boundaries of the interpretive task. The underlying model of knowledge reflected in What Do Scientists Do? resembled in spirit the hermeneutical sociologies of such scholars as Mannheim, Diltai, and Habermas. See chapters 8 and 12 for further discussion of hermeneutics. As Schwab achieved visibility during the 1960s as a theorist of the structures of the disciplines movement, he was working at the Jewish Theological Seminary's Melton Research Center, where he was seeking to understand not only psychological theories of growth and development, but also the place of tradition and community in the formation of character, subjects seemingly far apart from his research on the structures of the disciplines. His College Curriculum and Student Protest is an impassioned book that takes as its pretext the student protest movement, but has as its most basic aim a restatement of Schwab's views regarding the nature of liberal education. His primary focus here was a description of the relationships between the curriculum and its institutional aspects and the characterological development of the person. As we have seen in The Practical, A Language for Curriculum, and The Practical Translation into Curriculum, Schwab sought to formulate the nature of appropriate deliberation about curriculum problems, the contribution to the field for which he is perhaps most remembered today. He also wrote during this period about what he saw as the corruption of the field of education by psychology, a subject other curriculum theorists would pursue. Schwab accused educators and curriculum scholars of doctrinaire adhesion to educational psychology, which resulted in single-minded and simplistic views of what the subject matter of education might be. In college curriculum and student protest, he attacked political science for its attempts to reduce the complexities of political life to regression equations. In the famous practical essays, he emphasized the concreteness of curriculum deliberation. Quote, the curriculum constructed of these particulars will be brought to bear, not in some archetypal classroom, but in a particular locus in time and space, with smells, shadows, seats, and conditions outside its walls which may have much to do with what is achieved inside. Above all, the supposed beneficiary is not the generic child, not even a class or kind of child, out of the psychological or sociological literature pertaining to the child. The beneficiary will consist of very local kinds of children, and within the local kinds, individual children. End quote. Throughout his career as a teacher and a scholar, Schwab's attention was captured, not by a classroom in the abstract, but to this particular classroom, a careful examination of the characteristics of the students he taught this semester, and always a concern for the here and now of the next class, in this course, in this program. Westbury and Wilkoff conclude, Quote, he was from the beginning of his career his own man, argumentative, critical, dominating, end quote. As Jackson's analysis suggests, Joseph J. Schwab is one of the most brilliant and influential minds the curriculum field has known.